Hello, you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I am your host, Mr. Brandon Elliott. I'm excited today. We have some boss women in the house today. Jen and Stacy. you guys are in Florida area doing some multifamily. I think you guys are traveling right now. but We are. Um, <laughs> we are. <laughs> so where are you guys at right now? We literally came to Indianapolis for the pole qualifying race that yeah. is on Sunday, and we made a weekend of it. So we're here to network and have fun with friends. <laughs> we're in the downtown Marriott downtown, just yeah. overlooking all yeah, the yeah. Very cool. <laughs> That's so cool. So anybody out there that doesn't know exactly like your story, what you guys are up to, do you mind just giving that 30,000 foot view so that the listeners can understand? I know that you guys started off originally with residential multifamily and got inspired to do more bigger deals and syndication and so forth. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you want to start or do you want to start? Uh, I'll start. And because your your story is more fun. (laughs) My story is entertaining. (laughs) I started back in 2003 as a side hustle because I spent 22 years in corporate America. I retired in 2015 from there to do real estate full time. But back in 2003, I had a big ego and a big dream. And I decided I was going to go do it yourself flipping with my brother and my dad. I lived in California at the time. And so I just decided to do it in my own backyard, you know, and, but there was minimal profits. So I think after seven months, I made 1500 bucks and thought, well, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I ended up then flipping a a condo in Modesto and had an opportunity to hold it, but I stupidly didn't, I didn't take the guy up on his offer to mentor me through it. And I was like, I'm going to keep wholesaling and flipping. And I ended up moving and letting it go. And then it was, it was a while, right? And pretty soon the recession hit and I kind of backed up. I contracted with the economy, which I really regret. Mm-hmm. I wish I would have expanded and stepped into it and looked at all the opportunities, which is sure. what Stacey did, which is why her story is a little bit better. She, she actually <laughs> continued during the recession back then when I just kind of punked out. So <laughs> I slowed down a little bit and then got back involved once it calmed down a little bit, got back in, back involved with flipping for profits so that I can get into buy and holds. I think I bought my first duplex for 40 grand and that was fun. So where, where was that at? It's in Indianapolis, <laughs> ironically, never been to it. In fact, we were just talking on the plane today. You know what? We've never been in any of these properties. Like I haven't been in any of mine. <laughs> we should go get an Uber. Maybe we should get an Uber and go check them out. And we could do like a TikTok video about it. And we've never stepped foot in here. And, and then we started doing the math on how long it took us to actually fly here. God. And then go so see long. it and, and how long that takes and how our, we do it remotely. So it's faster, but uh, we might actually go see them today. And there's, I think mm. we have 10, I think we have 10 here now. What a blessing. I love that. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's me <laughs> in a nutshell. That's me. Yeah. Cool. Um, I did, I did um, seminars, a couple seminars, ended up getting trained on multifamily and just put another binder on the shelf and, and really had to go through the school of hard knocks and figure it out. And so here I am now figuring it, I've, I figured it out and I've got a little of them. So I guess my message to everybody is that everything that you want is on the other side of that fear and you can figure it out. So, oh yeah, I love it. Stacy. what about you? So why real estate and how did you get started? You kind of, you took uh, the bull by the horns and kind of went right in when the market was doing exactly the opposite and everybody was, you know, freaking out. Well, for me, it started like our timelines are very interesting. They're they're around the same. I started mm-hmm. in 2003. For me, it actually started. I was in corporate America. I was working up. My goal was to be the CFO. I worked at a public company as a controller. And I was like, 
I'm going for CFO. I was, I had like had eyes on the prize and I ended up going to a Tony Robbins seminar and something in that seminar made me realize like, oh my God, I'm, I am not on the right path. I'm not on the path I'm supposed to be on, but I didn't, I didn't know what that meant or what I was supposed to be on. But anyway, it, it caused a lot of like seeking and searching and trying to figure it out. And that path brought me to real estate investing and yeah. going to real estate investing clubs. And I was read rich dad, poor dad. And I was like, this is so logical. My background's accounting and I'm a CPA. So like everything is logic. And so I was like, this is so logical. You buy it for this, you have this much rent, you have this much expense. Why wouldn't I do that? But I didn't know how. And so I, you know, I, I paid for an education. It was complete crap, unfortunately, but I at least got enough excitement and enthusiasm and pieces of knowledge to get out there and Try. <laughs> make a bunch of mistakes, but get out there and start doing it. Cause you know, I mean, you've been in real estate. You really, you learn when you're doing it. And that was really oh, yeah. learned it through all of the mistakes. But so for me, it started with my very first property was a single family, but my second property was a duplex. My second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. Every once in a while, I do a single family, but most of my investing career has been multifamily. Sure. And for me, I lived in Sacramento, California at the time. And not that you can't invest in California, but the prices are a lot higher mm -hmm. there and it's more competitive in a lot of markets. And so I was like, I was just struggling. I was on a struggle bus. I couldn't get started. And I ended up coming across one of my instructors who lived in Canada, invested in the States. And I was like, how do you do that? Yeah. And that's when I learned about remote investing. So my very first deal, it was remote-ish. It was two hours away. So I could drive there but I only drove there twice during that time. And then every deal I did after that, I learned how to do everything from my computer and my phone. And now like 20 years later, that was almost 20 years ago. It was 19 years ago. There's so much available now technology. Yeah. It is so easy now. It was, but it was doable then. So sure. my whole career started and I immediately went from Reno, Nevada. Then I was in Illinois, then in Michigan, then in Florida, then in Kansas city. And I ended up doing real estate in, 17 different markets. Well, I, well I, over the years, I have done it and we mm -hmm. have real estate in 17 different markets across the US. But when I was just getting started, I found that whole process. Once I got it down, I was like, oh, this yeah. is really doable. And it really came down to learning how to lead and manage teams in other places without having to physically be there. And the time factor is insane how much less time it takes. Yeah, yeah right. Oh my God, because we're not driving to the property. We're not driving to Home Depot. We're not doing sure. any of those things that if the property was near us, I'd be like, I mean, should we drive there? I'd probably go. I know because because it's there, yeah. <laughs> but it's not necessary anyway. So you, you um, know what's so funny is like my situation was slightly similar. I was on the fence for two years out in San Diego, California. Just didn't have oh. the right education, right? and didn't know any better, but I was studying all the books, all the podcasts, all the YouTube I could get my hands on for two full years, four hours every day, no exaggeration. And then I finally found myself, all my offers kept on getting kicked out because I was going against like real investors, stuff that I do today, yeah. you know, <laughs> right. all cash, no contingencies, closing yeah. five days. But investing over in Ohio, I, I quickly realized that it cash flowed, but it was also, I got my single family house. Two months later, I got a triplex. And the difference was night and day. You know, once you have a vacancy, you still have all of your expenses really covered in many cases. So once you actually started doing multifamily, obviously, like it, it doesn't take rocket science to see, wow, the numbers are better here. But how much longer afterwards you started going down that path? to really get into something bigger and, and bigger syndications. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, well, syndications was much, much later. Okay. Primarily because I never wanted to not be in control of the deal. She's a control. Sure. And so I, I wasn't, I just was unwilling to put my money in the hands of someone else to do it. I always wanted to be the one taking it. So syndications came much later, but the transition for me. So I started in 2003 in 2004, I actually moved to Detroit because at the time Detroit was up and coming. The 2006 Super Bowl was going to be coming in 2006. And the city was highly incentivized yeah. to get ready. Otherwise it was going to get pulled. Yeah. And so I was like, this is my opportunity. So I went there and I ended up starting a property management company literally from scratch with two other investors. And <laughs> I didn't know what the hell I was doing at yeah. all, but it was an amazing learning process. But through that, a lot of the investors that were like my clients were like real estate investing students from California. And they'd look at a 20 unit that they could get for like a few hundred thousand dollars. And they're like, I can't even buy a house for that here. Yeah. <laughs> we were buying apartment buildings, you know, between 10 and 50 units. Sure. Kind of like rapidly thinking, oh, I can't lose. Yes, you absolutely mm -hmm. can. And that was my entry before I started buying it. That was my entry into the world of apartments and recognizing that apartment investing has to be done. Like you have to treat every building like its own business. You sure. have to look at the PL. You have to look, how do I maximize the revenue? And yeah. holy, what is going on with these expenses? What yeah. can I do to decrease the expense? Okay. And I know you know this. I don't know how much of your listeners know about multifamily. So I don't know how much to get into like the valuation. Yeah, dive deep. Let's go. Okay. Why not? Okay. Yeah. So, oh, fine. <laughs> I yeah. love mine, Brandon. Okay. Yeah. I love teaching. So, so the whole idea is when you get into, obviously at this point, Brandon, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to your listeners. But when you get into multifamily, there's two different kind of areas that we, it's all multifamily. Two to four units is considered residential multifamily. And it's, Lending-wise, valuation-wise, it's the same as a single-family home. The valuation is based on comps, and the lending is residential lending. When you get to five units, there's this magic cutoff, and all of a sudden it becomes commercial. So that's it's a whole different area. And the way that commercial real estate and apartment buildings are valued is based on the net operating income. So when I'm like, oh my God, the revenue, very important. The expenses, very important. Because the difference between those literally drives the value. So I started becoming highly addicted after being highly annoyed at my clients for no, doing no due diligence and they didn't know what they were doing. So I got school of hard knocks, but on other people's properties. So I was lucky. Sure. I started going in from a property management standpoint and really having to turn these buildings completely around and learn how do you do that in a way that doesn't scare the crap out of the tenants? Because yeah. if they see, they see too much movement or they see that there's a new owner, anything like that, they get scared and just like move out. So there's like this fine balance you have to find. So I learned all of that by doing it on people's buildings. And then by the next year, I was like, you know what? Now that I've seen all you crazy people buying these and I've had to turn them all around, I'm buying my own, but I will buy it right. I will do all the due diligence and I will walk into that building with a plan. On day one, when I close, I know everybody who needs to be evicted. I know everybody who just needs to be like reassured. I know every unit that needs to have an immediate bump in, in rent, you know, yeah. so we go in with our whole process, which started back then, but our whole yeah. process now is it's like us, like we, we do business turnarounds too. Like yeah. we are business people and we treat real estate like a business. Yeah. I like yeah. to look at it. Like we're not buying a property we're buying cash flow. Sure. And yeah. if it, you got to tweak it to get the maximum cash flow. Yeah. So if you look at it that way, you could be super profitable. I didn't mean it. Yeah. No, 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 that's yeah. 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 So we just, we look at things a little bit different because we both have, I mean, Jen was 22 years in corporate America. 
Yeah. I didn't spend as long in corporate America before I left, but everything I did was business and turnarounds and things like that. And so just marrying that to real estate, it's just, that's what we like to do. For people that are like, oh, I don't want to deal with, I don't want to talk to the property manager every week and be strategizing and renovating and all of that. That's fine. There's there's something called stabilized. I'm I'm not so excited about them, but there's yeah, I love okay. Them. Jen loves them. I love them. They cash flow on day one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Boring. Less, less headache to worry about. But right? uh, I, I had to convince her that we should do a certain ratio of stabilized yeah, and value yeah. add instead of all value add, and I finally convinced her of it. But. Yeah, it's cool. I just. Because because Stacey and me are very similar. We're like, I wouldn't call it greedy, but we want if if there's availability there, I'd rather go for it and make the most out of it. And it feels pretty good making it, you know, turning it around. It does. I agree with that. The dopamine is addicting. Yeah. Yeah. So it is a blank because because Jen is is good about like really like streamlining things. She's she's our she's definitely a strategist at every level so she's helped us create this like nice blend because for me it is it's about it's about the money but i'm not so you know once once you have all the money that you that you need that you ever could spend it's not money is not the big driver anymore now you're like oh okay what what's next and i just i like I feel the like, thrill of the turnaround is it's just fun. Like how much money can we make? What yeah. can we do with that? So, and so, meanwhile, I'm over here like we've got enough. Let's go make some memories. And yeah, let's let's go. Go. how about that? Let's yeah. travel a little bit. Wrap it up. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> sorry, it up. You were going to say something. I'm sorry. That's exactly it. No, no, you're good. I love it. So talk to me. Like, what are you guys focusing on now as far as properties go? And yeah, let's just dive into that. This is awesome because we just <laughs> literally met with, we moved to the Northern Orlando area recently yeah. in, in Florida. And we've never really invested where we've lived before. And we were driving around and I started seeing signs for stuff, you know, <laughs> off market deals. And I'm like, oh my God, they're picket signs. This is amazing. Like, let's <laughs> they're call ba- bandit signs. They're bandit yeah, signs, bandit. whatever you, I call them picket signs because I came from corporate America. Yes. And it's like yeah. marching for yeah. Yeah, bandit signs. Yeah. And so I was just like, oh my God, there's all these. So we called the guy and we we started establishing yeah. a relationship with somebody in Florida because we want to dive in and get into anything that's like, you know, five to 55 units in the area if we can find it. And there's tremendous growth growing there. But right now, a thousand percent, I will tell you, I bit off more than I can chew on something. And that is <laughs> we we bought a motel and we closed on it in January. And it's a different business model, but it's yeah. fascinating to me. And it's something I want to go learn. Because, you know, and it's a 40, they call it keys in motel world, which I learned last year, but it's a 44 key motel, two different buildings. And we're going through a rehab on one of the buildings, just got a new roof. There was 45 mattresses that were just delivered. 200 um, pillows. 200 pillows. Like FedEx was just rolling in. And, <laughs> and, and, but we're not there. We have boots on the ground. Our operator, our business partner is there running this whole thing for us. And it's, sure. but it's very fascinating because the first thing we did is we went in and we assessed the staff. Mm-hmm. And do we have the right leadership there to run it full time when we're not there? Because we are doing it remotely. So we're trying to merge our remote <laughs> multifamily model with hybrid motel. Cause I feel like there's an opportunity there. Yeah. I really do. And so for me right now, I want to get this one locked in. So we don't have any other, I don't want to do any other deals like value add deals. Okay. <laughs> until like quarter three. I'm trying. But I know that we definitely want to make sure we get our money into assets in quarter three and quarter four towards the end of the year. Cause yeah. right now with everything going on, the dollar is just sinking. Yeah, we don't, and so we don't want to stay in you know, cash positions. Right. So we, I have money. until the end of this month. Okay, to stabilize shit at uh, stabilize stuff at the motel, and then dive right back in. So we're in that process of establishing relationship with brokers right now, 
And I'm super fast, uh, like just excited about the whole opportunity because we've been working really hard to, to get our fundability up and things are opening up for us there. And so I think we're going to be able to get into some bigger buildings and hopefully I'll convince her to get into at least one stabilized and one value add by the end of the year. Nice. Even though I know all she wants to do is another value add. Value, I'm like, we're value already doing first. one. <laughs> value add first. So, oh yeah, I know. That, sure. so when it comes down to these projects, what is the exit strategy that you guys have? Do you guys have timeframes that you typically keep in mind to either refinance or just totally flip and exit out of? It totally depends on the asset. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> go ahead. It all depends on both. It does. It, it depends. I mean, it, it depends. First, it depends on the market because one of the things we do look for is we look for the emerging markets, like when when something is starting to go through its cycle. So my preference is I am a buy and hold investor. I don't like selling. Every, anytime we sell, I'm like my soul hurts a little bit. I love selling and dropping it into a different market. But that's <laughs> to go bigger. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's the whole thing. So, but we always everything that we do is very much a business decision. We don't get attached to anything. When we sell something and our money is sitting in cash, normally I'm like, I don't mind if it's not making a return for a little while. But when we're going through a time where there's recession and stuff, that makes me, I don't want our stuff. Like I want all of our money invested like in stuff. Yeah. But this is why I don't want to do a value add because of that, right? With the supply yeah. chain issues, material. Yeah. I'm we like, want I want to minimize the rehab. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's yeah, like, it makes yeah, sense. Want to get my money in a hard asset, but I yeah. help me help me convince That's her. Brandon. True. I want to segue yeah. yeah. a little bit. You know what I'm saying? You gotta convince us both a little right. bit, but I get it. I get it. Let's shrink <laughs> the rehab timeline so we yeah. mitigate yeah. risk. That's all. Well, it. yeah. No, well, strategically. In, in, in fairness, probably like when we get to because well, I mean, the, the motel is a big rehab. It is. When that is done and we're getting in our next project, we'll probably find something that's that lands somewhere in the middle. Because I like the big value adds that are very problematic. Those are the ones that are the most fun. They are. But right now taking on another thing this year that's a big rehab, I feel like is risky mm -hmm. because of all the supply chain issues. And we're just, you know, we see it, we feel it. So we'll probably find something that is just more of a blend. Like it has already stabilized, but has upside that we could do, you know, over time. And we'll see. Other side available. of that too, other side of that too, Brendan, I don't just think about the rehab recession, all that in the supply chain. I'm also thinking about if the rehab takes longer with yeah. these interest, interest rate rates. hikes, yeah. they're going to hike it five more times. I just, they yeah. just are. And if you're in the middle of this rehab and you can't quite, you go into the deal, but you don't quite know, and you can speculate what the interest rate is to refi, but you never know what the supply chain sure. is. So yeah. That's why I say we're, so yeah, what, what, yeah, we have what to do you guys do for lead generation in many cases? We have, I know you guys are in a bunch of markets, right? Yeah. yeah. We have only one way that we find property, which seems insane, insane because I, we know like 35 ways, but, and I've done all of them over the years. And the one way that gives me the most results in the smallest amount of time is just reaching out and talking to commercial brokers. And so what we'll do when we're going into acquisition mode, this is kind of what this will look like. Can when are we starting June? Yeah. Okay. So whenever like, June, oh, that's only like a few weeks. Away. I know. Yeah. I'm happy. It's June 1st. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay. So like, this is what acquisition mode like looks like on a day-to-day -day basis. So in the beginning, we'll say, we'll do some emerging market research and we'll be like, okay, let's just like initial, we don't go deep yet. So we'll do some initial research. We'll be like, you know, these interesting, these five markets are interesting. Yeah. Let's just make some calls. So we'll start calling and talking to brokers. Well, well let me ask, uh, not to cut you off, but what makes it interesting to you guys? Because maybe oh, maybe somebody brand new getting question. started into sure. multifamily, they don't know. Yeah. So there's there's really three things that we look at when we're going to do, uh, we're going to do market research. Yeah. This is aside from like looking at market cycles, because I feel like the complication of trying to explain that to someone might be 
beyond the scope of, of this. It gets but, detailed. Yeah. yeah, but let me get to like more of the basic, some of the basic stuff that we do. First of all, the market has to has to match our exit strategy. So not our exit strategy, our strategy. So if our strategy is stabilized, we're looking for markets that have a higher market cap rate. So the example I give for that generally is like for Hartford, Connecticut, if it has, let's say a 10% cap rate, you know, for stabilized, I want a higher cap rate. A higher cap rate is going to be higher cash flow, but it also means there's less value in the property. If I want to sell that property, people don't consider that market as valuable. That's why the market cap rate is so high. And cap rate is a mind, it's a, it's a mind screw over many times, but the opposite for a value add, if I want to do a value add project, I want a market that's going to have a, a lower market cap rate. So for example, Miami, let's say Miami's five, five and a half percent. I'm going to do a deal there if I want to do value add and I'm going to do Hartford Connecticut if I, if I want to do stabilize. So I have to look at the market cap rates and make sure that it's in line with what we're doing. So now the fact that we're going to be finding this blend, we actually need to talk a little bit about that. We're going to probably go somewhere that's somewhat in the in the mid range right. on that so that we get the stabilize, we get a little bit higher cash, a little bit higher cash flow, but there's also an opportunity to create that upside. Appreciation, um, yeah. Yeah, for the, exactly, for the appreciation. So the that's number one that we do. Number two is we look at the population and the population growth. So the thing that we always want to see when we're going into a new market is that at a minimum, the population has been holding steady, but mm -hmm. ideally it's going up. So it's going up, then it gets extra points. Mm -hmm. And then same with like the job market. We want to see that the job growth has been steady or on the incline. Obviously we have to, 20, it's like we have to take 2020 out of the mix because that's just an anomaly. But besides that, we want to see that that they're business friendly, that there's new jobs coming in. Sure. We just don't want to be in any markets that have a decline in population or, or job growth. So those are some of the things we look at. And then we we will automatically cut off the very high priced markets. We're not trying to buy apartment buildings in San Diego because of the, the capital. Yeah. Me side neither. Of it. Just, just <laughs> I like exhausting. the residential multifamily though, but to make it work, you really need to get creative and do like yeah. short-term rentals, you know, more Ex like. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and the, and the thing that in with short-term, that's funny because we've talked a lot about short-term rentals and they're super appealing. We the just challenge, got one. Yeah. Like, yeah I was going to say, you got 40 something now. Yes, we have 42 <laughs> of them. <laughs> um, but the thing about like Airbnb, like short-term rentals like that, that has always been like, oh, because I really, from the cash flow standpoint, that's very appealing. The thing that makes me nervous about it is from a legislation standpoint, any good amount of lobbying can shift the laws like that. And it makes me nervous. So mm -hmm. anytime we're looking at anything in the future, if we're ever looking at anything that's smaller, that's like for Airbnb, we will be looking at it. We'll run the numbers of Airbnb, but we're going to underwrite it as a regular rental in case that's anything shifts. Because yeah. we've seen people who lost their yes. entire business like that, or they had to operate underground and hope they didn't get caught. And I just, yeah. I'm just too concerned. Rough. That's rough. To, yeah. Yeah, that, that's such a it's such a great tip that you just gave right there to underwrite it with other backup strategies just in case. Like have have your goal A here, but if that doesn't work out, then have backup plans and make sure it's underwritten that way. Because San Diego, for example, it's like our only way to really make ours work for cash flow purposes is to. I mean, we would be breaking even basically, maybe maybe a little bit more not much cash flow after management expenses and so forth if we did long term but short term we cash flow very well yeah and san diego it was just on the new like it was a big deal that they've been fighting it back and forth for years now and we're scaring a ton of people that they're going to take it away they finally made it like legal that it, oh, it is good the, yeah good. but it's like well what if they didn't then i would either right. have to what exactly. sell or just break even each month yeah. Yeah. It's scary. Yeah. But that's, that's one thing I always, if anyone's ever asking me about it, I just tell them like, 
make sure that if for some reason you couldn't Airbnb, I mean, even if it's not legislature, COVID took all of us by surprise. Yes. I don't think anybody who's alive right now could have seen anything like that ever happening at that level. So it's a good reminder that having that backup exit strategy Mm -hmm. is how you stay in the game long-term. Because if we think that things are always going to be perfect and great, we are sorely mistaken. Everything cycles through, but as long as the lowest side of it, it still works, it pays for itself. You can weather through difficult times. And then, you know, and then when things pick back up, you'll start making a lot of money again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So before I did cut you off about the breakdown of where and why, you're talking about relationship capital, basically utilizing people and uh, brokers and so forth to really find those deals for you. Do you yeah. mind just diving a little bit deeper into that and tips and tricks for the listeners on how to find those people, but also like what qualifying questions to ask them? Sure. Well, it's funny because in my experience, new investors don't really have it's when we're new, we're not really in a position to be qualifying someone else. But here's let me give you kind of a breakdown. And I'm going to speak as if because if someone is new, I want to I'd rather give them information that they can use than what we say, because we come in with a ton of credibility already. And that doesn't help someone who's new. Right. So when someone's new, this is how I got started when reaching out and doing apartments remotely is, first of all, I would look at LoopNet. Crexy didn't exist back then, but LoopNet did. But now you can look at LoopNet, Crexy. I'm sure there'll be more websites if there's not already where there's commercial listings. Now, those commercial listings are usually, they've already been looked at by tons of investors and nobody bought it. So then they put it on the website. So they're not usually (laughs) a good deal. Yeah, no, they're not usually a good deal. But I mean, although every once in a while, yes, every once in a while, you never know. But so I'm never suggesting someone go there to find deals. However, there are deals there. So one of the things that you should always do when you're new is start reviewing those operating memorandums and operating offering memorandums to just get familiar. There's a lot of lingo. There's a lot to learn when you're new. So getting familiar, but then also who's listing it. And then you call the listing broker and you act like you're interested in that property. And maybe you are, but even if you're not, you say, I saw your listing on LoopNet or on Crexy, and I wanted to see if I could get more information. Can I get a T12 and can I get rent roll? Can I get an OM if they don't have it already? And just to have an excuse to call them without it being like a cold call because they have it listed. So clearly they're trying to sell it. And once you're talking to them, you're probably going to get it. You'll do some initial analysis and underwriting and find out that the deal is complete garbage. So you can get back to them and say, hey, thank you so much for sending that. Here's some of the things I liked about that deal, right? But unfortunately, here's some of the things that make that not work at all. But let me tell you, this is what I'm looking for. And literally just because they oftentimes they'll treat that as a test too. They just want to see, are you even going to call back? So many new people, you freak out. And I remember I wanted to barf my brains out. Anytime I picked up the, I was terrified of the, (laughs) I was so scared, but you know, a lot of new investors are like that. They'll get like a little courage to call, but then they won't follow up. And these brokers, they know that. So, you know, you have to be willing to, your follow-up game has to be strong. You have to be willing to be afraid and do it anyway. Be terrified of the phone and pick up the phone and call anyway, because what you want is not handed to you. It's not, this business is not easy. It's not handed to you. You have to be willing to do the scary thing, Mm. to operate in a place where you don't exactly know what you're doing. Because depending, you know, Brandon, depending on when people are coming in and starting this, sometimes they're in their thirties, forties, fifties, just getting started. They are an expert at whatever they already do. So it's torture to come in and be new at something 
feel like you're floundering. Yeah. When you're like the boss of what Mm -hmm. you do, but I just like, I want everyone to know that's a rite of passage and nobody gets through it without doing that. So got to go through it. Yeah. They can't stab you through the phone. Yeah. Physically happen. I mean, are they going to stab them in real life though? No. What's going to happen is they might talk harshly to you. Oh, yeah. You know what? What's the worst case that can happen? You're not going to get that deal. It's okay. There's hundreds or thousands of them out there. It's the numbers game as well. And it takes repetition, just like you said, to go through it and also learn the lingo. Like if I wasn't getting on the phones originally and just asking, I I would go on Zillow and look for all the for sale by owners and just talk to them and, and they would help, you know, it would get (laughs) more comfortable. I talked to brokers, realtors. And that started getting me more comfortable once I started learning the lingo and getting off the phone and like, God, that was horrible. But I think I can pull a couple of things from that conversation, try to work it into this new one and see where that goes. That's that's super smart. One of the things I used to tell people before when I was talking to people who were like, they're just, they're new and they're, they're scared. And I'm like pumping them up to like, start making some phone calls. And I'm like, look, I promise, and this is, I was actually talking to some people who were doing fix and flips back then. And I was like, look, I promise you, because the whole concept of after rehab value is new to them. I'm like, I promise you, you're going to say AVR and you're going to want to die. But you just got to do it. You just got to do it. You have this, and you have to practice saying the right things until it just becomes that. And people are going to be like, what? And you just be like, oh, I mean, ARV. I, you know, I, whatever. (laughs) I said, there's no way to get through it. And plus you learn so much Mm, asking questions and getting things wrong, having them ask you questions. And you're like, shoot, I don't know. Then you go research, find out, get back on the phone. Like just, you got to be willing to get uncomfortable. Talk to me about learning curves. What have you guys experienced over the years? I'm sure it's been a bunch, but what could, (laughs) that you think was most impactful that, that you're just like, God, I'm not going to make that decision again. And you think that the listeners could really grab on to I know. I, have one. I would say I think oh, I have. You two, have you, I already know what yours is gonna be, and then I'll and I have one. <laughs> and I'll have one. I lost eighty thousand dollars in one day. Okay. With a stupid decision, and I decided to not get the four hundred and fifty dollar inspection on one of my very first flips. Okay, like with within the first ten, and yeah. it ended up having a big, big, huge foundation issue, and it was overlooked. And yeah. as I went through it and the contractor was going, I ended up having to get on the phone with a structural architect, like a structural engineer, all these things. And like their first bid to come and fix it was 40 grand. Like wow. it was ridiculous. I ended up having to sell that build that whole property yeah. at a loss of in of eighty thousand dollars. Wow. It was horrible. So yeah. I will <laughs> never not get an inspection yeah. again. I, I have to just because it it was a post and peer foundation in Everett, Washington. I'll just give you that much detail. <laughs> yeah. And what I didn't know about post and peer foundation was everything. I had no idea about post and peer foundation, but apparently but you're um, an expert now. I bet <laughs> I am, dude. I am an expert now. And I'll tell you that if I see post and peer foundation on any type of description on a property, I shudder. Yeah. I still have PTSD from it because I had to then go get five more flips to pay off my money yeah. partner in order yeah, to yeah. get whole again, because there's no way in hell I'm not going to get them whole. So I had to figure that out. So I know that there's a lot of people out there that can do this business with, you know, no inspection, no contingencies, all those things. I am unfortunately not one of them based on that, that experience. I learned a lot and I'll just yeah. leave that. I, le- I learned a ton. 
And I- that's, that's great for listeners. I'm sure that can help out so many people. Like don't skip out on something so minimum, like a inspection, you know, like right. getting get somebody out there that can really give you a detailed description of what you're about to get. Right. Cause I stepped over a quarter to pick up nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I see $450, but at least I lost 80 K that was yeah, at, least, at least. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's anyway. a good learning curve. I appreciate that. Yeah. And it, it's funny because one of the things that we, you know, that we, you learn, obviously you learn a lot, you, the more expensive the mistake, the, the deeper it is. And oh, yeah. one of the things that we do in our business now with, we always get building inspections or, or home inspection if it was like a sure. residential, but we don't just get it to just know. We always, it's very rare that we don't go back to the seller and say, hey, you represented blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But here's what we found. And we always use it to go back and negotiate. It's not very often that we're using it to try to get out of the deal completely. Because usually if we if we spend the time to put in a contract, we want it, but it has to be at the right price depending on what comes up in the inspection. So for us, what we found over time is by spending that money, and it usually pays back like enormously because we're able to get significant price reductions or credit or something that we wouldn't have had otherwise. It's kind of like your proof and helps you stack the value of why you shouldn't buy it. Yes, you know? it does. And I like to talk myself out of the deal and, yeah. out and then go back. Yes. Yeah, that's so then- good. There's yeah. one book that was critical learning too, was Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, taught us a lot about so good. negotiating a different way now. So we've recently, just in the last few years, had some big learning curves there about what's actually possible. So if you haven't read that book, read it. I, I don't mean to like push somebody's book on you. It's here, so good. It's a good one. No, it's it's good. Best book. Yes, yeah. I love it. I agree. But talk to me, what is typically the inspection cost per door when it comes down to a bigger multifamily? Because just so people can start budgeting some of these extra expenses. It's market specific and it obviously time specific because I'm sure it's just getting more expensive every day. Crazy right, right now. now. Like, I've I'll seen be, on yeah. single family houses like a thousand bucks. I'm like, where the hell did you get that? Number? Right. Yeah. yeah. The most recent inspection that we paid for, which was for 42 doors, which the inspection we did for that is the same inspection we do for mm-hmm. any apartment building. It's a hotel, yeah. but it's effectively it's the same as far as the work and we paid eight thousand dollars or seventy eight hundred. That no, that was in Idaho. Our motel's actually in Wallace, Idaho. It's yeah. the Stardust. If you want to come out there for the summer, <laughs> okay, nice. <laughs> That's so cool. The start, yeah. So that was about that was about eight thousand. God, yeah. It's just every market is so different. Yeah, it ranges pretty hard. Yeah, we had some students that were in the three thousand range. Yeah. So I think when when people are starting off and they're doing something that's like a little bit smaller, like this, a good like starter building would be somewhere between like six and 12, six to 15 units, uh, you should probably budget for three to $5,000. Plus the appraisal is more expensive. So like you have to do, you really do have to have some legitimate like chunk of money set aside just for due diligence, which is why we don't take that lightly. When you actually get to the point where you pay for an inspection, if you don't go forward with the deal, that is sunk money. And sometimes that's what you have to do. You have to walk away because that's just the right thing. But I don't want to walk away, but I do want to have that money be an investment. And that's why we will go fight like very hard. And we will make, we put together this elaborate explanation to the seller using, we will take the building inspection and we will basically snip out parts of it that talk about, especially something that sounds like really dramatic, like danger, (laughs) critical, anything like that. It's red writing. And we'll, we'll basically say, look, this is what you, this is what you represented. And here are the items that we found to be different. Here's the evidence of that. And here's what we're requesting. And we go in very professionally and we just, 
we always ask for more than what we actually need because we expect them <laughs> as other investors to negotiate. Yeah, come in. But that's, that's good. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Well, guys, I appreciate it so much. I feel like you guys are a wealth of knowledge and just very open to, you know, share all the ins and outs of, of what you guys have accomplished over the years and the learning curves. And I know, you know, all the listeners have taken a bunch of notes like myself, but for anybody out there that wants to get a hold of you guys, how would they do so? I think the best thing to do is we do a weekly training on this stuff every Wednesday. And if they want to come, they can go to it's wowaua.com and just register and they can come see us. We we answer questions to the public live every Wednesday just to keep people mostly, especially lately, yeah, engaged yeah. and hey, don't <laughs> don't go on a shell because of what's going on. Yeah. Um, come see us. And we do a training topic every week. So it's wowwowaua.com and then they can just register and come see us. It stands for I ask us it. anything. Yeah, it's <laughs> it seems so random. Wow, AUA, what the heck? I yeah, love it. I love ask it. Us anything. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Education and then open Q&A. And right. we're usually on there for an hour or so. Yeah. And we're just there to answer. They can literally ask us any question in real estate because over 20 years we've done every Everything. strategy. We just we specialize in multifamily, but we've done all of it. So we're just here to be a resource to the community and help how we can. What do you guys think about the market that we're in right now? And anybody that may be fearful of what's going on out there, um, what would you recommend? I got some crazy friends of mine that have close friends, but not the closest that have been on the sidelines for like the longest time since like 2017 saying, hey, we're going to have a crash and <laughs> and still being on the sidelines. But now as we get closer and closer to really crazy stuff that's going on in the world, what is your guys feedback? What's your opinion? So my opinion is that we're definitely heading towards a recession. I, I do believe within the next four <laughs> quarters, we'll probably be there. But I am hopeful that Powell will actually increase the rates and make us have a soft landing. I'm not too, I don't know, positive on that. I think that it needed to happen a while ago. But in the meantime, what I do know is that anybody who's sitting on the sidelines, they've been printing money since 2008, they've printed more money in the last two years than they did in the previous decade. So that tells you the inflation. I mean, there's a lot of speculation on whether it's 7%, 15%, whatever it is. Don't just sit there with your money and the dollar yeah. declining. If you look time after time after time, what happens when we go in a recession? Every single time, rents go up. Yeah. Every time. Every time. Every time. So why wouldn't you want to put your money in real estate versus crypto, Bitcoin, stock market, all the shit that's going downhill, yeah. put it in a hard asset. That's yeah. what, that's my take on it. So that's what I'm doing. I like that. Yeah. And I think the only other adjustment I had, because a lot of times people will be like, oh, the fear is created from what is unknown. Right. And one of the things that's unknown is how much interest rates are going to go up. So one of the things that we talk about, because this is what we do when we're doing our own underwriting, this is what we do when we're advising people on our weekly, our weekly call is like, look, if you are making offers right now, then take whatever the current interest rate is for whatever asset class you're in and add a half a point just to be conservative, right? And if, but if you're looking at months, well, first of all, if you're making offers now, you shouldn't be looking out months. You should be closing in 30, you know, 60 days. days for an apartment building and, you know, 30 to 45 for a smaller multi, but we're just telling them like, just change your interest rate for Jen and I, we laugh. We're like, you know what, when we, when we started, it was like 8%, like seven, 8% is normal. I know. So like, yeah. My very I'm first like, one was, it was 8.5%. So yeah, it's like, no. you know? and it's like, it, it's not going to cash flow as much, but you know what, those same top properties that we, you know, that we bought and we held on to that had a little bit higher interest rate. Over time, they appreciate and you get more and more cash flow with 
as long as you are steady with increasing the rent and staying up with market right. as yeah. an operator, you can do so well, even when interest rates are high, but everybody has been so accustomed to those really low interest rates for several years now that they're freaking out. If they're only, if they're new in real estate, you don't yeah. realize like, this has been weird. I mean, this it's is nice. record breaking history. So it's like oh, yeah. how low it is. So, exactly. how, spoiled so this. how entitled we get to like, wow, like, if I don't get these low 2% interest rates and I'm not taking it like, yeah. Right. So we just advise people like, just get in the game. Stop worrying about the interest rate. Cause you just, you literally you're going to be like, I don't want to pay that much. Cool. Anyone else who did, is going to be a millionaire in X number of years when you're still yeah. waiting to get in the game. Right. You just got to get started. You might not make as much cash flow as you would have if you had started four or five months ago or last year. But what difference does it make? Yeah. Get into something. Cause you know, Brandon, like once you get that first one, the next one comes faster and then the next, and then, and then it just, it's so much easier. That first one's the hardest. So yeah. like, I always say it's like start. three, once you get past your third one, then it's like, Oh, I got this. Like you see the yeah. whole process that each time. And it's like, Oh, each one's a little different, but you start like building it up and, and it just becomes easier. Totally. So I love that. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Well, I appreciate you guys so much for jumping on and, yes. and definitely everybody needs to reach out to Jen and Stacy. You guys are amazing and just have uh, just great energy, but also like your heart's in the right place to be able to serve people and, and be able to help them eliminate a lot of the learning curve that, uh, you know, some of us uh, have gone through just so. But with that being said, to kind of wrap this up, like how we first originally started, all the education in the world is great. All of it's out there, by the way. You know, if you want to learn quick exactly. and learn from our learning curves, like dive in, you know, <laughs> we're all open books here, which is great. But um, there's going to be a huge, you're still going to go through learning curves once you start implementing it and doing it. I don't care what books or podcasts or mentors right. you have. Once you actually implement it, you're not going to listen to all of it. Like I, I was stubborn and said, well, maybe <laughs> this is an exception here. And it's like, no, it's not. Uh -huh. It's never an exception. So just implement it. And then you'll see as time goes on, have backup plans, have education and eliminate that fear from holding you back from something so great on the other side of the fence here, which is amazing. But I love you guys so much. I appreciate all the energy that you guys bring and the, and the impact you're making. Guys, if you want to reach out to me, you can always do so on Instagram. It's Brandon Elliott Investments. Otherwise, facebook.com forward slash Brandon Elliott Investor. If you guys need any credit repair done for you services, check out creditrepairmobile.com. Otherwise, if you're really looking to get educated on how the banks and lenders are judging you, how to fix credit faster than anyone in the industry, and then be able to build up several six figures from the bank, even seven figures in funding from credit cards, lines of credit, and so forth from the banks very quickly and flip the script on them, being able to leverage it into real estate and be able to protect yourself with contractors and be able to start businesses and grow your businesses, scale them, then check out creditcounselelite.com. That's credit count. That's www.creditcounselelite.com. And as always hit that subscribe button for Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. Greatly appreciate all the love and feedback. And we will see you on the next episode next week. Till next time, guys. Thank you so much again, Jen and Stacey. You guys are bosses. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you for having, for having us. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.